Thanks, y'all. I don't know how long you've been walking with Christ. You may be here this morning and you don't yet know Jesus. But I can tell you, I've been walking with God for over 40 years now. And though at times life is up and down, I promise you, if you give your life to Christ, over the years you will look back and you will be able to sing that song. Because all your life, I promise you, God will be faithful. Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3 as we continue our series through Paul's earliest letter. Hi, Barbara. Was I supposed to do that? I'm so sorry. Kids, kindergarten through second grade, get out of here. <laughs> Join crazy woman there in the back. And she will take you to your own time of worship and teaching. Parents, if your kids have been dismissed, man, look at them go. Uh, you can pick them up in the gym after the service. Now can I get back to what I was trying to do? All right. So Galatians is the earliest letter of Paul. Uh, as, as far as Scripture is concerned, there is no letter Paul wrote before this. This is also the one letter of the New Testament. I will tell you, the one passage in the entire New Testament that God has used more than any other to change my life. The series through Galatians we're calling a surprising power of grace, and the theme this morning is the power of faith. Paul's going to talk about faith again and again and again in this passage. But before he talks to us about the power of, un of belief, he warns us about the power behind unbelief. As a matter of fact, Paul talks about the power of unbelief being fueled by what he calls almost a spell that has been cast upon people. All through literature and film, there are stories and tales of bewitching and spells and potions from Snow White to Frozen, from the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis to The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Probably the most famous recent author that weaves potions and spells into her stories is J.K. Rowling in the famous Harry Potter series. In the third book, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Harry and Hermione and Ron learn about a potion in Professor Snape's class. It's called a confounding potion. And when anyone drinks that potion, they temporarily lose their memory. They forget things. And if they get a large draft of that potion, it can even create amnesia. They become bewildered. They become completely befuddled. Now, the unique characteristics of the confounding potion, or concoction as they call it, is it has no smell, and it's tasteless, which means people can be very vulnerable to taking it in, ingesting it, and not even being aware. Paul talks about unbelief in Christ, unbelief in the gospel of grace, 
as being like ingesting a potion that makes us forget the gospel or be confused about Christ or befuddled in the Christian life. And he points to the only antidote, faith in Jesus. Now, we obviously don't believe in magic, but we do believe in the supernatural, good and evil. And in this text, Paul makes us aware of some of the schemes and spells of the evil one that can only be broken by faith in Christ alone. So let's all stand out of reverence for God's Word. I'm going to actually start in 2.20 and go through 3.9. This is God's Word. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O foolish Galatians, here you go, here's the spell, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. May God bless the hearing and teaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. This is God's Word. He gave it to us because He loves us, and He wants to see the spells of evil broken in all of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for our ministry partners that are here from around the country. We thank you for the ways you use Oak Mountain to bring the gospel to our nation. And God, we thank you for this passage that really leads to a missional life. God, as the, the spell of self and sin is constantly broken by the power of Christ. And so, Holy Spirit, come, lead us and guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Galatians 3.1, who has bewitched you? Who gave you a potion? Who put a hex on you? 
It's a figure of speech, obviously. But Paul uses it to remind us that whenever we minimize faith in Christ, whenever we minimize the gospel, evil is at work. So three spells of evil that must be broken for us to thrive in Jesus. First of all, break free of the spell of unbelief. Look at, look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians. That, that is like being under the spell of having no spiritual discernment, having lost all spiritual perception. And Paul says it's akin to being under a spell, to having drunk a confounding concoction. Now, what's interesting is Jesus uses the exact same words. Paul may have gotten it. Or Luke, one of the co-laborers with Paul, took it from Paul being reminded of that Jesus said it. But in Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus, if you remember, the resurrected Jesus starts walking alongside some disciples, and they start talking about Jesus. They don't realize it's Jesus that is talking to them. And at the end of the conversation, Jesus says, Oh, foolish ones. Same words as Galatians 3.1. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Whenever we're slow of heart to believe, whenever we live in unbelief, it is evil attacking us. And Paul reminds us that we must not minimize the place of faith in Christ in our lives. As a matter of fact, if you look at this brief passage I just read, faith occurs seven times, and the word believe occurs once. So eight times in a short passage, Paul prioritizes the primacy of faith. Galatians 2.20, 3.2, 3.5, 3.7, 3.8, and twice in 3.9, and then in 3 verse 6, he uses the word believe. If you were to ask Paul, what's the most important thing of the Christian life? He'd say faith in Christ. What's next? Faith in Christ. What's after that? Faith in Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself defined life with God by faith. In John chapter 6, some Jews come up to Jesus and, and ask a softball question. They say, Jesus, what must we do to do the works of God? I mean, can you imagine? Think of what would you say? Think of all the possibilities at Jesus' disposal. I mean, here it is. The, the question, what's the one thing we need to do to do the works of God? Answer? Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. Faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work is the beginning, the middle, and the end of the entire Christian life. And Satan works overtime to blind people to that. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, Paul writes that Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving, and he seeks to blind even the minds of the believer. 
We're so tempted to shift our focus from faith in Christ to something else. As a matter of fact, there are three confounding concoctions of unbelief that I want to cover real briefly. First of all, the first concoction is putting faith in your faith rather than faith in Christ. You ever done that? I have. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in faith. Is that what he says? No. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. One of my first temptations as a new believer was to make the object of my faith my faith. Was to be tricked, put under a spell to think that the amount of my faith what was, what was critical. And so I lived with a lack of assurance that I had eternal life for months and months and months because I was constantly wondering, do I have enough faith? I was putting faith in my faith instead of allowing the object of my faith to be the faithfulness and love of Jesus and the promises of God. If you are putting faith in your faith, you are still under the spell of unbelief. And then secondly, failing to believe that Jesus saves us completely once and for all, that is the second spell of unbelief. In other words, the false teachers in Galatia came in after Paul left, and they said, listen now, they said, we agree, Jesus is is the Messiah. Paul's right. But the way you participate in the benefits of Jesus as Messiah is you begin to live a Jewish lifestyle. I was in Salt Lake City this past week with a group of pastor friends, and it was so life-giving. But while we were together, we thought we'd take a tour of the Mormon tabernacle. And we were assigned to Mormon missionaries. And you know what they said? Because we asked them lots of questions. We were kind. Uh, we even tried to encourage them. They're, they were like 21, 22-year-old gals. And we, we felt horrible asking them really hard questions. But one of the things they said was this. Oh, we believe Jesus is Savior but we believe that you participate in his salvation through your obedience to the Book of Mormon. It's, it's absolutely no different than the Galatian problem, right? Oh, Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Savior. But you don't participate in the benefits of his work unless you obey. I almost threw my knee out there. i got to be careful. <laughs> Those of you who don't know, I just said knee surgery, but you wouldn't know it. Um, or maybe you would. Uh, so are you under the spell of unbelief, thinking that Jesus doesn't save completely, that it's Jesus plus something that you contribute? Paul says in Galatians 3, 2, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? He's saying, I, I just want to ask you one thing. How do you receive the Spirit? 
Is, is it by trusting Jesus as Savior and then obeying? No. You receive the Spirit. You become a Christian by faith alone, in grace alone, in Christ alone. And then the third kind of spell of unbelief is thinking that faith means blind faith. Do you ever think that? Do you, do you know how many people around you think that? Like faith, to become a Christian is just a blind leap, a flying leap into the darkness, into the unknown. You can't really be sure of anything. Do you realize that biblical faith never means that? Biblical faith is always a reasonable faith based on facts, putting our hope and trust in the finished work of Christ. Biblical faith never has anything to do with hoping there's some percentage that maybe it's true that God exists and Jesus was historical and He lived a life, He was crucified on a cross and He rose from the dead. The Bible never means that as faith. Those are facts. Faith has to do with trusting that what Jesus did delivers you from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day from the presence of sin. And there are Christians that are confused on this. We, we don't have blind faith. We have faith in Christ. Faith in His finished work. So don't overthink faith. We're simply talking about receiving the benefits of Jesus. It's actually empty hands crying out in need. As a matter of fact, next week, Galatians 3.23, it says, Before faith came, and then when faith came. Faith is just another word for Jesus in Galatians 3.23. Before Jesus came. Now that Jesus has come. Faith is simply another word for in your desperation crying out Jesus. That's all it is. The only thing you need to trust in Christ is need that receives freely the promises of God's faithfulness, not the amount of your faith. Break free from the spell of unbelief. Secondly, break free from the spell of performance. This is another spell that I fell into as a new Christian. Look at Galatians 3.1. Before your eyes, Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, that's a very graphic word. The word means to, to put on a placard. In our day, we would say to set up a billboard. You ever seen one of those really huge billboards? Paul says, look, when I was with you, all I put on the billboard was one word. Jesus, that's it. Jesus and Him crucified. How could you miss that? It's like a bright neon sign with an arrow saying, eat it, Eds, eat it, Eds. Only it said, Jesus. How could you miss that? And the fact is, I missed it. Oh, I didn't miss it for salvation. Listen carefully now. I got to the point in, by God's Spirit that I understood it was faith in Christ alone that forgave my sins and gave me eternal life. But then I shifted to performance for the sense of God's delight. For the sense of God's smile. 
that's where I got messed up. You see, every time I blew it, pride, impatience, anger, if you all represent me sitting down, this is what I saw the Father doing. And the rest of my life was trying to get the Father to turn back. I knew I was going to heaven, but the Father just sort of endured me. See, what a spell. What a catch-22. I know I'll go to heaven when I die. But it looks like I'm going to be miserable the rest of my life. Because not, God will never be satisfied with me. I was under the spell of performance. Look at Galatians 3, verse 3. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh, by human effort? Notice here, Paul's saying, you already are Christians, Galatians. Bob, you already are a Christian, but you're trying to be perfected. You're trying to be completed. You're trying to gain a sense of God's delight and God's smile through your performance. I was under a spell. Look at verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain for nothing? Let me ask you something. Why was the first century church, who persecuted them? Don't say the Romans, because that's a little bit later in the first century. The initial Christians were persecuted by the Jews. Why? Because they said, we know God and have God's delight by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the Jews saw that as blasphemy because the Jews said, yes, the the ones who said they were Christians, yes, Jesus is Messiah, but if you really want to earn and gain the full blessing and favor and delight of God, you need to live a Jewish life. That's how you go to bed at night and know that God is smiling. And the Galatians who heard Paul preach Jesus are being persecuted by Jews because supposedly they're living under grace. Paul says, you're suffering for nothing. You're being persecuted for believing in Christ and His grace but you don't even believe in Christ and His grace. You're living under performance. So you're suffering for nothing. Paul says, I hope that's not true. And he points them again to the gospel. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And then he says again in verse 5, does God even now, present tense, as Christians, give you a spirit and work miracles of His divine power among you because you do works of the law, because you perform, or because you continue to believe? Notice the different intenses, past tense, verse 2, present tense, verse 5. Let me put it like this. Zephaniah 3.17 
The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I'm going to read that again. The Lord your God is in your midst. I want you to ask yourselves when you believe this is true of you. The Lord your God is in your midst. When? A mighty one who will save you. When? He will rejoice over you with gladness. When? He will quiet you with his love. When? He will exalt over you with loud singing. When? Or let me ask you this. When not? When do you believe Zephaniah 3.17 is not true of your life? Paul's saying in this passage, having been justified by faith, God sees us just as if I'd never sinned and just as if I'd obeyed every command. And he goes on to say that we receive the Spirit when we rest in Christ alone. That's the Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, we are beloved children. That's Zephaniah 3.17. Now, what I'm here to tell you is the gospel, Paul, is saying it is always true of you if you know Christ, and it never ceases to be true of you. Now, you're saying, okay, Bob, you just crossed the line. You've gone too far. Okay, fine. Let's do it your way. If you're telling me that there's a time when Zephaniah 3.17 is not true of you, how do you know when that is? Better yet, if you're telling me there's a time when Zephaniah 3.17 is not true of you, you're telling me it's not true of you because something that's lacking in your performance. When are you not lacking in performance? God's law says love God perfectly, 24-7, without fail. God's law says love your neighbor perfectly, 24-7, for a lifetime. And by the way, your neighbor is your enemy. So even your enemy is someone you're supposed to love. Look, if you're telling me that there's a time when Zephaniah 3.17 is not true of you, then it's based on your performance. And if your paradigm is based on your performance, then you need to come to grips with the reality that in your paradigm, it can never be true of you. Who do you think you are? That you actually think there's a moment you live up to what God commands. No, here's the good news. Zephaniah 3.17 is true because through faith in Christ, we have been united in our persons to Jesus Christ. And everything that is true of Christ has become true of us. So all of God's wrath and anger is taken away. And all of God's love, delight, and smile is poured out upon us. Now, please listen. Don't think for a moment I'm saying God rejoices over your sin. Of course He doesn't. Don't think for a moment I'm saying that God is delighted when you disobey. Of course He doesn't. 
but your person united to Christ, God is always delighted in and smiling upon. And guess what that means? People who know they're delighted in and smiled upon by their Father in heaven are the quickest people to acknowledge their sin and repent. It's a spirit of performance, it's a spell of performance that makes us slow to repent. If the gospel by the Spirit breaks the spell of performance, we experience the smile of God and we're free to acknowledge where our behaviors and our attitudes and our words fall short because God's posture never changes toward us. And the way to experience more of the power of His grace is to confess our sin. That leads to the next point. Break free from the spell of powerlessness. You need to realize that one of the reasons Paul's writing Galatians is precisely the point that I just made. And that is, detractors are saying, Paul, if, if the gospel you're preaching is true, there's absolutely no motivation to obey. If the gospel you're preaching is true, there's, there's no reason to live a godly life. And Paul's response is, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul is saying, if grace, if the gospel is just a philosophical concept, then yes, you're right. There's no motivation there for obedience or godliness. It's all a gift, and there's, there's no reason to obey because God's going to spall upon you even though he doesn't approve of your sin, he's still going to accept you and, and smile upon you, and you can go to bed at night knowing you have the Father's delight upon you. Paul says, grace isn't just a philosophical concept. Grace is the message of God's unconditional love and the message of his supernatural transforming power. So Paul says in Galatians 2.20, if you've trusted in Christ... The person you were before you were converted, that person is dead. You're, you're dead to the spell. You're dead to the penalty of sin and the power of evil. And now Christ lives in you. You have the power of the risen Christ. The power of the resurrection is inside of you as a believer. And the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God. It was Francis Schaeffer who, who finally was used by God to open my eyes to the spell of powerlessness that I felt I was in. See, Francis Schaeffer was under the same spell. Francis Schaeffer was a pastor in what would become our denomination. And he said he almost chucked the entire Christian life because his life didn't match up with the life the New Testament said he should be living. He was under performance the way I was. He read the scriptures, and then in this book, True Spirituality, he writes these words. I soon discovered that with all the things I had been taught since becoming a Christian, I had heard nothing of the present value of the blood of Christ for my daily life. Seeing this, the sun came out, the song came. What's he mean by that? He means, 
in verse 1 of chapter 3 that Jesus Christ was placarded, was billboarded as having been crucified. That, that, that tense of that verb, having been crucified, it means there is a present as well as a past application. The past application is when we're converted. The present application is all through life. In other words, the message the non-Christian needs to hear is the message of the good news of the saving grace of God through Jesus Christ. The message the Christian needs to hear, guess what it is? The gospel of the saving grace of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There's not two different messages for two different groups of people. Non-Christians need to believe the gospel to be converted, and Christians need to re-believe the gospel to experience the power of the Spirit. I would even say this. When you trust the gospel promises are true, when you least feel you deserve to believe they are true for you, that is when the Spirit of God falls upon you. When you believe in the promises of the good news of grace, when you least feel you deserve to believe those promises of grace, that is when the power of the Spirit falls and transforms us from the inside out. In Galatians 2, Paul says, if, if grace is true, is Christ then a servant of sin? Do people say, well, let's just continue in sin because it doesn't matter how we live? Paul simply answers that with one word, no. Of course, that's not what it means. Because grace isn't just a concept. It's not a philosophical principle. It is a person and a power. And when we trust in Christ, we will necessarily, supernaturally be changed. And you think, well, it's not working in my life. No, that's how it works. Keep repenting of what God exposes. Keep believing the gospel afresh that God's smile hasn't left you even though He despises your sin, that He put all of His anger for your sin on Christ, run to Him in need, cry out Jesus, and then, yes, there is a life to live. That's the fight step of the waltz. Repent, believe, fight. Repent, believe, fight. There is a life to live. And when you fail, you go all the way back to repent because you're quick to repent because God's smile hasn't left you. You rest in Jesus afresh when you feel you don't deserve to. And when you rest in Jesus afresh when you feel you don't deserve to, that brings out the power of God. And then you step out again into obedience. And that's how it works. You're not going to get fixed. You're not going to get fixed. That's how we live the gospel until we die. And we will be free from the presence of sin forever. But make, make no mistake, you will experience progress. The gospel, God will not stop working. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. And we're transformed in every area of life, including the area of mission, the area of ministry. I know some of you are thinking, what does this have to do with United States ministries? Everything! Because as we bring our cold hearts to the lost, to Jesus, and we say, hey, you, you said when the Spirit comes upon me, we'll be your witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. That's, that would be our nation if you contextualize it. I don't have that passion. God, I need to repent. I don't even feel I deserve your grace, but I'm going to trust it anyway. That brings the power of the Spirit.
Now I'm going to step out, and I'm going to seek to share my faith, and I'm going to seek to support U.S. ministries in this church. And then you fail, and you go back and believe the gospel afresh. There's a guy from the 1700s. His name was Joseph Hart. He was a pastor, a poet, a hymn writer. Matter of fact, one of the most famous compositions of hymns that, that people look all over for, I think it just came out in reprint in Amazon, it's called Hart's Hymns. One of the hymns we sing, Come ye sinners, poor and needy. Do you remember one of the lines? It, it probably has troubled you. One of the lines is, in Christ there are 10,000 charms. Remember that line? In Christ, in Him, there are 10,000 charms. Jesus is the only charm to break the spell that evil tries to bewitch us with, with respect to unbelief and performance and powerlessness. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, to Jesus, and find in Him 10,000 thousand times ten thousand charms let's pray god if there's anybody here that doesn't know jesus we pray that today would be the day that our, their eyes are open the spell is broken and they run to jesus crying out in need and trusting that you're faithful not trusting in their faith but in you jesus and then lord for the rest of us help us to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves and to one another Help us to believe that the gospel is what we need as Christians, no matter how long we've known you, that that's how we're transformed. And then, Lord, use this church to bring the gospel to this nation as well as to all the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and hear the promise of God's delight, right? The promise of his favor that's already true. Are you believing it? Are you resting in it? And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his countenance, his smile upon you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace now and always.